0: Welcome to the University of California San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast featuring Dr. Nero Fundia, Dr. Brian Healy and Dr. Drew Lansdowne discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. Welcome everyone to our UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, 68 Weeks with myself, Dr. Nero Fundia, and Dr. Brian Brian Feely. Today, we have the pleasure of having Dr. Rondo on. He is a world-renowned neurologist and stem cell researcher um, who currently is uh, leading stem cell research over at UCLA. So, thank you for joining us today, Dr. Rondo. Um, we appreciate you having us having being on. My first question for you is: um, tell us a little bit more about what got you excited about science and how that got you to where you are today.
1: Well, first, thank you, Nir, and Thank you, Brian, for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, what first got me excited about science, I and mean, I think I was always excited about science as a kid, and I think the big transition for me was deciding as I was um, leaving college how much to focus on, on research and how much to focus on clinical medicine, and I was applying to medical degrees. I had done research as an undergraduate, and I've always made it my my goal in life to have undergraduates in my lab as a way of giving them that opportunity to to explore a career path they might not otherwise even think about and it was it was critical for me and i i knew i loved it um so i ended up deciding to go into an md phd pro- program so i actually didn't make a decision i just decided i'd do both and maybe make a decision later um so so that's you know that that was how i ended up continuing from some very simple things done as an undergraduate through through where i am now um but you know as as time went on and i completed my clinical training in medical school and my my residency, I I felt the draw of lab research increasingly. And so throughout my career, I combined clinical medicine and research, but research just took a much bigger part of my my academic efforts.
2: So I wanted to start a little bit basic um, and talk a little bit about what stem cells are and why they're important when we study aging. So at the most basic, straightforward level, when you describe a stem cell, what is it and why do you think they're so important when we study how we get old and why we get old?
1: So, good question. So um, stem cells come in different flavors. I'll start with kind of the stem cell, the type of stem cell that we study. And the stem cell that we study the most is the stem cell in, in muscle, the, the, the tissue that makes you move. And why are stem cells important? Stem cells are important because in muscle, the, the cells that make your body move are, are called myofibers. They're very large, they, they contract, and that's what makes your muscles contract. Whereas the stem cells are these small, almost spore-like dormant cells that sit around and don't do anything, thank goodness. They just sit there. However, if muscle's injured, and if you've ever walked downhill, you know, done some hiking downhill, and two or three days later, you find your muscles are incredibly sore, that's because the muscles have been damaged. And what's happening during that process is these rare stem cells that are scattered throughout this dense tissue, they begin to wake up and they make more of themselves and then they begin to make new mature muscle. And so the, the, in that sense, stem cells through many, many tissues in the body, but not all, are present to maintain tissues and repair them after injury. So why, why is that important as we age? Well, as we found out from this bit studied long before we started studying this, well-known that with age, this process of stem cell function declines and we get tissues that repair less well, less effectively, less rapidly. I mean, if, if you know, for all of you who have, have kids or have had kids, you see that when they cut their skin, you know, they're they have Wolverine-like healing. They just, you know, they heal and, There's no scars, it's like beautiful. And the older we get, you notice that it heals more slowly and less effectively. And that's true in every tissue, in skin and bone and muscle. So what we study is why is that? Why is it that that, that the cells that are there to repair tissue do less well as we age? And is there anything we can do about it? Can we induce these old stem cells or whatever's wrong with them to repair tissues like young stem cells? And that's been a major focus of our lab.
0: And kind of continuing on with that point, where do you see that transition of of quote unquote people getting old in terms of their muscle? Um, you know, wh- when does that process kind of you know in the timeline? Your twenties, your thirties, wh- when does muscle and, and all these changes start occurring?
1: Well, so you know, if, if you look at muscle function, um, depends on what what sport you look at, and you guys know this better than I do. But you know, marathon uh, times peak I think in, in the thirties or early forties, whereas sprinting time. Peaks much earlier, so it sort of depends on what what you what you want to measure, as what you want to say. What's the peak, and when do when do you start to decline? But you know, generally, one peaks in terms of performance in most sports around the twenties. Some plateau, and then you start to decline. But there's no you know there's no magic age, or even decade that you know you could say, you can't get better, you can't improve. I mean, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, flexibility and, and modulatability. In terms of muscle function, but I would say that you know post post puberty early twenties is when muscle function strength and, and endurance and you know are, are peaking and then they stay high and then they decline after that. In, yeah, in terms think, of
2: sorry, after I, I'm gonna butt in it's definitely before 48 because mm-hmm. I do not recover the way I used to, even three years ago. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah I, I I can attest to that too. I'm a runner and um <laughs> My, you know, I, I did. Well, I was a late life runner, so I, I don't have anything to compare to in my twenties or thirties. I started running my forties. My my time, my times in the marathon went, went down, but that was just from from practice. That was that wasn't my muscles getting better. But without a doubt, you know, every few years, it's those <laughs> post run injuries that are taking a little long to, to to recover. And I think you really notice that in one's forties, fifties, sixties, and beyond.
2: Um, So you had a really cool paper that came out relatively recently. um, And it talks a little bit about the differences between our young and old stem cells. Um, What I thought was really cool, and I may have gotten this wrong, was that when we get old, we still have stem cells, they still seem to act like a stem cell, but they may not have the same Capabilities. So, what have you seen at, when you study the difference between young and old muscle stem cells, and what does that mean in terms of our ability to recover and regenerate?
1: So that's a, that's a that's an interesting question with an interesting answer. And you know, the, 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 we let me wind back the clock a bit. So we we did some experiments back in the early two thousands, which really opened up a field in regenerative biology and aging. It's kind of an intersection of those two. And the experiments that we did were uh, experiments called parabiosis. And that's where two animals, in this case mice, are surgically connected. And they develop a single shared circulatory system. So the blood of one animal begins to circulate through the tissues of the other animal, and vice versa, it goes both ways. What was interesting is that when we connected a young mouse to an old mouse, so now you have young blood components circling through the old mouse tissue and old blood circling through the young mouse tissue, what we found was that the old mouse that was experiencing this exposure to young blood, the tissues in that mouse, and in particular, we looked at muscle stem cells, began to behave like young stem cells. So that meant that there's something in the environment, there's something circulating in the blood or some things that are influencing these, quote, old cells to become young again. And, there, and you know, by the way, it works both ways. The, the young cells exposed to the old blood begin to work less well. So the whole idea was this this aging axis that' we, we've been looking at looks like it might be modulatable, malleable, that you can actually, in a sense, and we've gone on to study this, program old cells to become younger and young cells to become older. So back to your question, Brian. If you know, with age, the reason why the muscle repairs less well, is likely a combination of of aging of the muscle cell itself, plus the aging environment. You know, the the circulating factors that are coming from old blood that are having a kind of suppressive effect or negative effect on on all tissue regeneration. So in that sense, to make old muscle repair better, you could either target the factors that are suppressing it or you could just target the cell itself to see if you can um, restore youthfulness to an older cell.
0: Tell, tell us a little bit more about what is kind of what's in the blood itself, particularly for younger patients. Kind of in this process, like what are we what are we seeing, particularly for that younger
1: age group? So, if you, if you look at blood and you just ask what's in it, you know, it's a very very complicated tissue, right? In addition to the cells that are in the blood, the the white blood cells, the macrophages, the red blood cells, there's all the proteins and lipids and and small molecules. And you know, we and others have been looking at the composition of blood and its change with age and. You know it it's it's so many things change. it's hard to it's hard to pull it down to specific patterns, except, for example, old blood looks more inflammatory. There are more inflammatory proteins in old blood. and And I would say that has to be, you know at least the lion's share of the and there are a lot of factors that are like this that are in old blood that would when when delivered to a young animal, suppress that that activity. You know there's kind of a pro-inflammatory, um, environment with age, young, it's it's harder. There are more pro-growth, as you might expect. A young boy or girl, they're growing rapidly. You want factors that are promoting growth. So there are a lot of more growth factors and factors that will, will promote uh, tissue expansion and cell proliferation. So if to, to generalize, and there are many other things that are changing, to generalize, it might be going from a pro-growth environment to an anti-growth environment in fact you could you could argue that there might be an evolutionary benefit for once we reach reproductive age we don't want to grow anymore you know we've reached our size and what we don't want to grow are things that we don't want to grow like cancer so you know and that's when you start to see you know over the over the life course of a person mutations developing tissues there might be a, an advantage to suppressing growth in in cells that you don't want to grow, so that's hand waving evolutionary argument, but it fits with the idea that this goes from a growth phase to a non growth phase and more of an inflammatory phase.
2: All right. So if I have this correct, we have an eleven year old Stu who's going to be about six foot five. I can this evening go get his blood, transfer it to me, and then I'll be young and then I'll keep growing.
1: Correct. That's correct. You'll be you'll be you'll be fifteen again. <laughs> awesome
2: awesome so, so, so we, we, you know
1: we've done these experiments we've done these extensive experiments where we've div- given so not through parabiosis but actually through blood transfusion given young blood to old animals and old blood to young animals and what you see is you see effects of the blood on the animal that they don't you know they don't get younger but aspects of their tissue improve to be like a younger like a younger animal in this case, animal or person. We haven't done this in people. But, you know, so that the idea is that there are programmable aspects of, of aging that you can restore. And, you know, kind of the Gonduncan experiment, if you take this to the logical extreme, there would be rejuvenation of the individual if, you know, but we, what we don't know is what the downsides, and almost certainly there would be, of giving lots of young blood to older people. I mean, one, one in particular is what I just mentioned. If... Someone has some nascent cancer that is being controlled by their own immune system, and you suddenly give them a series of factors that makes that cancer grow, bad news. So, you know, so this is gonna be, I think this is gonna be an interesting balance in finding pro-growth factors and anti-growth factors that will define how we age, how cells age, and and what kind of therapeutics we can envision could be feasible.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting when we look at kind of the clinical aspects of things, we've concentrated a lot on, you know, how do we extend our lifespan in terms of preventing disease? Um, but a lot of this research seems to, you know, kind of think of this concept of health span. How do you improve, you know, a non-pathologic state? Is, is this what people refer to when they're talk, thinking of, of kind of science and medicine as health span as opposed to lifespan?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, so in the aging field broadly, um, when, when it was observed, you know, back in the 1930s, that you could make rats live longer by feeding them less calories. Simple intervention, you know, caloric restriction. They live longer and um, and actually they live healthier, but but they live longer. And so a lot of the focus as model organisms to study aging were developed, you know, whether that's Drosophila, the fruit fly, or C. elegans, the worm, the, the easy measures, how long do they live? So the, the literature on interventions like like drugs and diet and things like that over the decades especially in the 20th century the focus was on lifespan how long did they live but you know when you start talking about human lifespan what we don't want is we don't want humans living longer sick you know our goal is not to extend the number of years that people live after they've already lost function you know cognitive function motor function The, the goal really is to have them not even live longer, live the same amount of time, but with less disability, and so that's that's where the, the notion of health span, not lifespan, came into into you know kind of common common parlance, and has really taken over over lifespan. Now that having said that, lifespan is easy to measure: <laughs> is the fly die dead or alive? Is the worm dead or health span is a lot harder, as you know, in humans to determine sort of the frailty of a person. You've got to measure a lot of things, and you've got to take a lot of time. So health span conceptually is what we focus on practically. It's just a more difficult measure.
2: Okay, so you've gotten older. You've already mentioned that now somehow you run marathons um and you study aging. You're probably one of the five foremost researchers in the world studying aging. So what do you specifically do to maintain your health span? Without making us all do marathons.
1: So, um, so what I do—I'll tell you. Start with what I don't do. So I don't take supplements um, that are, you know, touted as promoting health span. Um, I, I, I say I do a few things. So first of all, I keep a relatively paleo-ish diet, meaning I try to eat things that I think our bodies were designed to eat. Okay, so that tends to be. You know, relatively low carbs, um, you know, fruits and vegetables, uh, you know, s- some meat, but but pr- pretty much low carbs and um, you know low salt and, and and so I just try to keep a, a diet that feels consistent with evolutionary selected pathways. I I run. I mean, again, I I run marathons for fun. I don't. I never started doing it for health, but um, I think that the benefits of many of the drugs that are being tested for lifespan are really intersecting with, with this balance between diet, exercise, and weight. And, you know, I think that uh, if I could recommend, you know, this sounds like what your mother would recommend, you know, eat less and get more exercise. You know, it didn't take all those years of, you know, medical degrees and, and research to come up with that. But, but that's what I've come up with is that, you know, for the most part, The things that we study, and we're we're really focusing. We, when I say we, the I mean the field. It comes down so often to this balance between what you put in and what you do. You know, so the the diet, and and it's it's linked to obesity, or if it's caloric restriction, it's linked to starvation. You know, you can't go too far. So I think of everything in life, in, in this world, as being on an inverted bell shaped curve. You know. Too much exercise, too little exercise, too much food, too little food. You wanna be reaching that kind of, that maximum. And if you're there, adding more uh, supplements or you know adding more drugs, I would argue, is unlikely to have a major effect. And I think when we see benefits in health span in animals, say in laboratory mice, I think the reason, a major reason why they're living longer in response to this drug or that drug or, or this treatment is that they live in a world where they eat all the time. You know, we feed them so-called ad libitum. They have food 24 hours a day. And as they get older, they, they get fat. And if you really want to do a test in a laboratory animal in terms of whether a treatment, let's say a drug, makes them live better or healthier, you first have to eliminate that issue of the excess food, excess eating and obesity. If you can keep the animal in a more natural state, you know, and in the wild, animals are generally hungry; they're not fed, and so that's a more natural state. And then say, will this drug help them live longer and healthier? I think it has much more meaning.
0: And uh, it, one last question before I wrap up, kind of in line with that, um, you know, obviously, I my practice is more kind of pediatric patients, and we always tell our patients the decisions you make now will impact you as an adult. When you look at it from a basic science level, do you see? you know, things over a prolonged time when, when, you know, patients are younger, that can then impact their ability to deal with aging and tissue degeneration when they're older.
1: You know, we've never studied this in humans in terms of any of this kind of regenerative biology, but I think there's a wealth of evidence that even in utero, what children, what are, are exposed to can have a profound impact on their susceptibility to disease. Now, we don't understand this well and this falls into the realm of epigenetics but i think there i think it's unequivocal that what we do as our chil- child children go through you know development in utero postnatal development childhood development adolescence what they do has the potential to impact their susceptibility to disease many many years later now we, we don't understand that well um, but but i think that you know that's that's present and And that's why I think it's very important to think about their health, not only as their child health, but also leading to their adult health.
0: Well, thank you. We could talk for hours about this. There's so much uh, at the tip of the iceberg with this, but thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time and uh, um, good luck with all the amazing research that you're doing. We just, as surgeons, I feel, well, Brian obviously does research. This is just well beyond anything that I'm capable of. So thank you for, uh, for doing all the work that you do.
1: Well, thank you. It's, you know, I love talking about this stuff. So thanks for having
0: me on.